0: You're listening to Passioners Podcast with Norbert Pustai. It's all about meaning, mission and passion.
1: Hi everyone. Today's guest is William Banku. He's my mentor. He was born and raised in the US and he, then he moved to Hungary. His parents are Hungarian, so he had some root which uh, led to Hungary. Um, he was the president of the American Chamber in Hungary, the founder of Speak Academy, managing director of Huronet Hungary, and he's also a startup investor. Um, could you tell me how did you start your career? What, was the, what did you do after you, you finished your studies and what were the main stages uh, of your career?
0: When I graduated from the University of Colorado, I went to work for a computer company, and I was moved from the state of Colorado to California. It was a typical career start, so I had a friend at the company who I knew growing up as a child, and when I, it was obvious that I was going to graduate, then I went to him and said, do you have any openings? And yes, they had an opening, so I moved to California. Nothing remarkable about that. Many people start down that path. Then I moved to Texas uh, with the same company. Then I left the company because they filed for a form of bankruptcy in the United States. Uh, I, went to, I started my own company, a computer company in Texas. And then the wall started to shake a little bit in Berlin. And given the Hungarian background that I had, I wanted to take an opportunity of testing my skills and my courage in in business environment that I had zero experience in. And that's where my career and my formation and my development really began, because I, I made a decision and I followed through on the decision, but I made it in such a way that I closed everything down in the great city of Dallas. And when I came over here, I had flown over several times, and when I came here uh, to start the business venture, which was a real estate development that I had previously negotiated with the local municipality, By the time I got over here and overcame my jet lag, they changed their mind, and they never followed through on the deal. And so I was stuck in a situation with no political capital, people who had changed their mind, and a country in turmoil. And I was naïve, thankfully I was naïve, because I didn't think through the process, but I did what I had learned from so many great mentors, whether it was Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn, in the United States that said, you just got to get up and do it. And that's what I did for a couple days or or a week or so. I probably felt sorry for myself. Then I got up, I shaved, even though I had nowhere to go. I went into the city and I started looking for people to meet people. And it's through meeting the people and listening to what they problems that they suffered from led to starting one company, then another company. And it's once you get the ball rolling, then things kind of take off on their own. That's the most difficult part is getting the ball rolling.
1: And what did you do then after?
0: Yeah, after I developed some businesses and I had the opportunity to participate in a startup, which was a, um, an ATM machine co- uh, company that had a couple of American guys were visiting from Kansas City, and they uh, looked at Hungary. Accidentally, they were here to privatize something. And they reached in their pocket and pulled out their ATM card and realized that there were no machines or few machines for them to have access to their cash. Yet they knew that Hungary was a cash-based society. And based on that gap between what it is and what they need, they changed their mind of privatizing something, went back, raised a little bit of money, threw some of their own money in, and launched a company from the United States here in a former communist country with no innovation. There was absolutely no innovation in the, in the business plan. It was simply a plan of execution. We had to figure out what the process was and we had to repeat it as often as we installed a new machine. And we kept our eyes focused on the goal. And today you can look at the company on Nasdaq and it's got a $4.5 billion market cap. It's called Uranet.
1: Wow. And what was your role in that company? In the in the beginning,
0: it was a uh, I wore many hats, and then I became the managing director of the Hungarian operation, and it was originally only supposed to be Hungarian operation. And then, because of things that were kind of difficult to solve in Hungary, and just a ambitious drive on behalf of the both the CEO or the two founders, they said, well, even though it's not making money yet, but we believe in this business plan, in this business model, and let's expand. And so they put together everything needed to do an IPO in the late 90s and were able to list the company on NASDAQ. And so I followed that for 10 years. And then after 10 years, I, I and many people at that point left the company and went off to start to develop our own dreams. And that's when I became an investor and looked for uh places where I could add value whether it was in developing a software company or a healthcare company.
1: You're also involved in in public speaking. You brought the Toastmasters to Hungary, which is a international public speaking organization and then you established your own uh, public speaking organization called Speak Academy. Why did you feel that it, it's important to to have it in Hungary? I mean the, the culture of public speaking?
0: Having grown up in the United States and been motiva- motivated by people who speak really well, I felt it was a very powerful business tool. And once I arrived in Hungary, so I never came over with the idea that I would want to do that, But once I helped people develop insight as the company started to grow and I saw them give presentations in front of banks, in front of internal groups, and I just felt this horrible feeling in my stomach that that is such a poor example of a presentation or a speech. And I decided that instead of just giving them negative feedback, I would help them improve. I had an experience as a junior so before my senior year in high school, I was given the opportunity. At that point, I wasn't sure how difficult it would be, but I was given the opportunity to give a speech in front of 800 students in the, in the high school, and I failed. And it was a horrible feeling, and it was the lowest I've ever felt giving a speech. Yet I felt this tug between how I felt then and what I feel when somebody has the ability to give a incredibly inspirational, motivating, uplifting speech. And I was torn between the two, and I wanted to have the latter, but my reality was the former. And I knew, once again, going back to all the positive, motivational tapes and books that you had access to several years ago in the United States still do, I decided that the I can't change what my reality is until I, until I start to work on my skill set. And then I enrolled in Toastmasters in uh, in the United States, and I started doing the program, and I was able to achieve some amount of success. Then I came over to Hungary, and a few years passed before I realized I need to sharpen my skills. But the way to really sharpen my skills is to help other people sharpen their skills. This is something that Zig Zig Ziglar is known for, That you can achieve everything you want, you can achieve by helping others achieve what they want to help uh, or what they want to achieve on their own. And so I did that. And today, um, it allowed me to start another organization. I, I I was a little bit disappointed with Toastmasters because many of the people who started attending Toastmasters in the beginning didn't attend for the same reason. They needed friendship and somebody to share a cup of coffee with. They didn't prepare for their speeches. If they didn't prepare their speech, then they were likely not to even show up, even though they agreed to give a speech. And I just I didn't feel comfortable with that attitude. And I, started, I decided that I, I'm, this is something that's a passion for me. I will help you know, from prisoners to kids to disabled people become better speakers. But I only want to work with those who also want to improve. I can't push a rope. I can't want more for you than you want for yourself. And fortune has been good to me, and I have now get the opportunity to work with people primarily who are very serious about developing their public speaking careers. And I have yet to find a better tool for making contacts than being able to get on speech and giving an excellent speech to 1,000 people.
1: You were also the president of the American Chamber of Commerce in, in, in Hungary. Uh, I mean, it sounds amazing, this role, but why was it important for you? Because I'm sure there were a lot of work behind this position. I mean,
0: I enjoy giving back. And the American Chamber was one of those outlets where you could give back. It was voluntary work. But for me, as a speaker and someone who wanted to develop my speaking skills, it also gave me. A platform from which I could show elegantly show my speaking skills and it gave me a chance to test myself. One of the problems with speakers is they kind of get lazy and they, they don't keep searching for a higher and higher level and giving speeches in front of CEOs of multinational companies it has something at stake. And you need to, I believe, you need to have something in your life. For me, it's speaking. For others, it may be sports or golf, playing the piano. But you need to be able to lift the bar, raise the bar on a regular basis so you feel scared, you feel like you're gonna t- you may not do a good job, and then it'll hurt. And that allows you to take it seriously, or not allows you, makes you take it seriously. And so for, for me, AmCham was an ability to give back,
1: and an ability to showcase my skills. So you've been doing so many things like you mentioned uh, Euronet and and um, you acted as a startup investor and still you do it and um, the speak academy. What is the one thing that you are the proudest of from your past?
0: Simple that example that I mentioned earlier where I failed as a 17-year-old on stage in front of 800 students and I did something about that fear. I can close my eyes today and still see the situation. I can still feel the fear and I did something about it. And I run into so many people who encounter a difficulty whether it was a disability or a relationship that broke down Somewhere, they weren't able to perform the way they expected it to. It didn't turn out the way they wanted to. And they never overcame that difficulty in their life. And overcoming things that are difficult is what adds the taste to life. Trying to avoid suffering at all costs in life is silly. It's through the suffering process that we see who we really are. And we can measure our success having the horrible experience of failing in front of 8,000 or 800 kids, and then having the excellent experience from a feeling standpoint of being successful in giving a speech in front of say 5,000, you can compare those two emotional contents and you can measure your progress. And through measurement of progress, when I feel like I'm moving toward a goal, I'm happy many people are not happy because they're not moving toward a goal. You can't lie to yourself at night and will upon yourself progress that doesn't exist. And for progress to happen, you need to have a starting point and a direction, and you need to be moving toward that direction. I can tell you a different story and convince you that I'm progressing, but I can't tell that story to myself and believe it. So that's the moment that I'm the most proud of
1: you mentioned suffering and what we can learn uh, from suffering Um, and before we started to record this podcast we talked about the the cancer that you when you were six years old uh, eight eight years old sorry and then now again you are fighting against cancer and what can you learn from this uh, illness can you share your thoughts about this
0: I don't look at these diseases, I'm not smart enough to understand what is really going on. Uh, I understand the overall process that you have something that's not a good cell and it starts to replicate uh, too fast. Every bad situation has something that's a potential opportunity either from a business standpoint or from a standpoint of changing the way you live your life. And if you're going to go down this path and you have to go down this path, which is a tragedy, then you need to find a way to find meaning in your tragedy. For example, if a a couple has a young child that dies due to cancer, and all they do is continue to relive the moment and shake their fist at God and feel like life is unfair because their child uh, departed because of cancer, then that will be a tragedy. But if they can turn that around and use that pain and the good in that pain, the power in that pain, to make life better for other children who are on earth that may be suffering from the same illness but don't die, then if they can use that pain for good, then they've added meaning to the tragedy. And as soon as you have meaning in life, it makes getting out of bed so much easier in the morning. Nothing will replace their child. But they have days going forward that they have to fill with content, with meaningful content, and having a powerful reason to live. What a great way to get out of bed in the morning. And that's what I look for in any of these diseases or non-diseases. What can I learn from this? And how can I make it better for others who are suffering?
1: And what did you learn, and what did you, how did you turn this, this disease into meaning? I'm not there
0: yet, but I'm working on another startup idea that would allow me to deal with the patients to make sure that they feel like they are taken care of in the time when they're outside of the walls of the hospital or, or not in contact with their doctor. A lot of healing has to happen outside of chemotherapy. Are they getting the support necessary? Some might say yes. I think no, certainly not in this part of the world. And I think there are tools today and technology that can help us make that uh, patient-to-institution contact much more meaningful and turn it into a growth opportunity. And, and let the people, with you know, if you can get somebody to change your attitude, you can get them to progress quickly. I mean, they, the oncologist will tell you that often the attitude of a person is more important than the strength of the chemotherapy. And I don't want to heal the people because I'm not a doctor, but I feel with the significant contact that I've had with people and motivating them, working with them, helping them develop themselves, that I have a sense for what it would take to help people heal themselves during the process when they're not in front of a doctor.
1: Thank you for sharing this. Um, We already talked about meaning. So another topic is mission and passion. What is your mission? And what are the activities you call your passions?
0: Speaking is a passion for me. And speaking not because I want to become an even better speaker. Speaking is a tool that is effective for people to develop themselves through. If you become a better speaker, it doesn't have to be about the stage. The things that actually happen in the background while you're becoming a better speaker are skills that you can use in other areas of life. Going through public speaking, I would recommend for everyone, whether you ever want to be on stage or not. Because you need extra creativity. You need to be able to put your ideas into understandable terms. You need to be able to structure what you're saying. You need to be able to, cre- to be as creative as you possibly can be. And you need a good reason to constantly update the knowledge in your head. Now, if you want to become a good speaker, one of the things you can do to combat your fear is to ensure that you have vast amounts of material in your mind that you are able to choose from and draw from in any speech situation. For that, you need to read. You need to develop a discipline of reading and, and, and bringing in more and more new and current information. What a great way to keep your skills relevant if you read and read and read. Is it by accident that some of the best CEOs in the United States read 50 to 60 books a day? I mean, my goodness, Warren Buffett reads an unbelievable amount every single day. And so does Bill Gates. And you could say these guys don't have to read anymore. They could spend all their time on the beach. And yet they have a discipline that reading is a, an integral part of every single day. And as they read and listen to new ideas, they come up with business opportunities. They come up with solutions that they can solve. And so it develops habits that will allow you to become a more effective uh, person in society. And I think it, uh, for, for me and for my family and for the people that I work with, I want them to be more than successful in business. I want them to be successful as people who share this planet with a bunch of other people. Pursuing money and money only, which we do often, is not enough anymore. There are serious issues that need to be handled. There are so many issues that need to be handled that I don't feel like we're going to be running out of problems that we need to solve. Find one. Get cozy with it. Learn about it. Read about it. Meet the people who are already dedicated and join a cause that is much bigger than your life. For me, it's speaking. For others, it's teaching kids how to play golf. Or maybe how to dance. But do something, and I thought, when I heard it as a, as a much younger person, that do something, your passion is something you do for free, I thought, oh, I don't want to hear this. I mean, this is a cliche. But if it's something that's really passionate for you or you're passionate about, you'll, you'll do it for free. Hmm. And when you get good at doing it for free, as when they'll start paying you a good,
1: decent amount of money. Because you're so good at it. Uh, I know many people who likes um, who like uh, helping people, but at the same time they think that they can't make money uh, because they, they help people. But you build uh, profitable companies while helping people. What's the role in your life? What's the mon- What's the role of the money in your life?
0: I look at money as a tool. The more money you have, the more things that you're able to do. Build, help, share, support. And the, the better you become at creating a very stable point in your life, the better you'll be able to handle risk that you take associated with either starting a new venture or helping somebody you don't know or getting involved in solving a brick problem. To be able to take risks, you need to be able to take or you need to have stable points in your life. And I, I want to grow my opportunities by making sure that I have the background that allows me to take that risk. And if something doesn't go well and things have gone not well in the past and they will in the future, I don't want to have to worry about everything because of one item that's not doing so well. I want to be able to structure them in such a way that I can dedicate time and energy to a project. And if it's not going, then I can pull away. In the beginning, often you won't make money. But if you feel like the tool or your skill, and once again, I go back to speaking. Speaking is one of those things that even if others don't want to pay me for it, but I develop myself through the process of helping others then I'm really being paid for it, just not in cash and not by them. Eventually, you'll look for an opportunity to scale it and share it through as many people as possible so they also become evangelists uh, of your idea or of that, uh, of that solution. And it's not going to happen in the beginning, and it'll only happen if you do it really well. Too often people do things in a mediocre way, and then they're surprised that nobody wants to pay them for it. There are a lot of mediocre, average people. If that's your goal, to be mediocre and average, then it will be really difficult to get noticed. If your goal is to be incredibly good, then you have a high likelihood. Someone told me many years ago that the way to start a movement, a church, an organization, is to be on fire for it. And when you are on fire for something, people will come and watch you burn. And I, it sounded a little crazy back then, but I have to say today with the experience I have, it's very true.
1: But at the same time, many people are struggling to, to find meaningful work. They they have their job, like 9 to 5 job, and, and they don't find it meaningful, but this is how they can pay the bills. So what is your advice to find a meaningful work or do a meaningful work and at the same time make money out of it?
0: I I did that. So, uh, Going back to the beginning of our discussion, I went off and got a job and went to work for 8 o'clock in the morning and came home at 5. What I did when I lived in Dallas is I started to donate time at an orphanage for kids. And through helping the kids I realized that I had something that I could give not everybody but certain people In that case, in in that orphanage's case, I did nothing other than sit in a chair and a five-year-old boy would come and sit in my lap and hug me for an hour because he had nobody to hug him. Now, that doesn't sound very sophisticated and you don't need too many college degrees to be able to sit in a chair and have somebody hug you. But for that child on a -a once-a-week basis, that hour is something that he really looked forward to. And that gave me the boost of encouragement that, well, I have something to offer. And then if you start to believe that, then somehow you find opportunities, and opportunities find you, to get involved to help. Now, you're going to have to get good at saying no, because once you become a charitable person, everybody's going to want you to be involved. We need to be able to say no and find an area where we can give but we get something in back. It would be silly for me to do something just uh, on behalf of somebody else where I'm having all my energy uh, removed. And once I do this, then I can sort of find my way across the landscape in the night, you know, on all fours, trying to figure out, well, where am I good? Where am I needed? What resonates with me? You have to give it time. I had no idea. I mean, I'm doing something completely different. I would have never thought a five-year-old child in Dallas would one day make sure that charity and giving back and helping people would be such an integral part of my life as an adult. But he did. But I don't sit in a, la- in a chair anymore having people sit in my lap. I'm not even a Santa Claus. Get started. Just like a business, getting started is the most difficult. and Once you get started and you have momentum, it's easier to steer an airplane in the air than it is underground.
1: Looking back to your career path, is there anything that would you do in a different way? I would, I would look for opportunities
0: to speak in front of large business organizations sooner. One of the reasons why I'm so dedicated to working with teenagers is... I can give them that skill, and one of the programs that we do is we put them on stage in front of business people. So they have an opportunity immediately to go through the fear and then the success of getting on stage at the age of 16 or 17, or the youngest student so far has been 9. And she may have never understood the, the what's at stake. and In her case, I would say there wasn't much at stake giving a speech in front of CEOs. But that's also an art that needs to be learned. And the sooner you can show yourself as an excellent communicator, the sooner you can start to develop influence. And if I could dial back uh, time, I would start to do that sooner than later. Uh, But I'm thankful that I started it when I started it and not 10 years later. So that's, that's the one difference I would make or one change I would make in my career.
1: And finally, because we already talked about many things and and, uh, about the future, because you are working on so many projects at the same time, what do you plan for the future? What are are those projects that, that are the most important for you now?
0: In the future, I'd like to dedicate myself to two areas. One would be in helping people develop their confidence through speech tools, and the other is something to do with cancer. So many people get cancer and it doesn't seem to be slowing down, at least not in the near term, that I'd like to be able to make a meaningful impact, not on the world necessarily, but on if we look at this part of the world, there are enough people here who come down with the illness on a regular basis. And I'd like to make a meaningful deposit into their lives. So going forward, I have plans in place and I'm developing tools in both areas. And if those tend to, or if those show traction and they are going to do well, I'll probably focus for the next five years most of my energy on developing those uh, two
1: directions into some serious companies. Thank you very much. That was the last question. And... um, Why it was important for me, because I meet often William and and he shares his thoughts and experiences from the past. And I highly recommend to everyone to have someone like William for me, like a mentor, because he really changed my life. I also participated in his, I completed his uh, speak academy, uh, public speaking course, which was a big inner journey. How... I could uh, learn about my personal uh, experiences, my feelings freely on the stage. And he also shares me a lot about how to build habits in your life and the importance of it like daily sport, the reading and how to communicate with others. So thanks again, William, uh, for sharing your thoughts and experiences and goodbye.